extent where we're talking about the good news of the resurrection of Jesus Christ uh, or specifically the impact, the widespread impact that the good news has on the lives of all who call on the name of the Lord. Uh, as many of you recall, these last uh, two weeks ago, um, churches all over the world were filled with people who came together to celebrate uh, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And of course, in, in settings like this, um, there was invitations given to those who do not know Christ and have a relationship with Christ that they would enter into a relationship. And then, of course, it was also an opportunity for us as the church, as the body of Christ, to be reminded of the commitment that you and I are called to make to allow the gospel to um, produce life and to produce godliness and fruitfulness in us. Um, and, and rightfully so, grateful that, that the resurrection of Jesus represents or serves as the foundation of our faith. In fact, I truly believe, and Paul says this, that without the resurrection, we have no faith. Without the resurrection, we have no basis to believe. Without the resurrection, then we have no assurance that Jesus is everything that he says he is. But the resurrection proves that Jesus is who he is. And because of the resurrection, and because it serves as the foundation of our faith, it also defines who we are as followers of Jesus Christ. It defines what God has called us to do, who he has called us to be, the impact he has called us to have in the world. Now, of all the things that I love, and there are many things that I love, but of all the things that I love, I would say this with every ounce of conviction in my being, that the resurrection is the thing I love most. Why? Because it has changed everything about my life. I am grateful for the resurrection because who I am, who I am becoming, and, and, and the hope of salvation, all of it is predicated on what Jesus did on the cross and what happened on the third day after he was risen from the dead. There are several reasons why I believe in the resurrection. Assurances that I believe the resurrection provides all of us this morning. Number one, the resurrection assures us that you and I are forgiven. Everybody say forgiven. forgiven. The resurrection assures us that we are forgiven of sin and that we are set free from the power of sin. And the reason we are set free from the power of sin is because the Bible says that Jesus satisfied God the Father's righteous requirement concerning sin by being our sacrifice, by paying the penalty we were supposed to pay. And he was able to pay that penalty because even though he... Uh, was tempted as we are tempted, even though he can relate to the, the struggles that we have, he never gave in. He never yielded to the temptations that he faced. And because of that, he stands as one qualified to take our place. The resurrection assures us that you and I are children of God. Not because we've earned God's approval, not because we've worked our way into God's graces, but because we are joined to Christ. We are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. When the Father sees us, he sees his Son. Not that we are not important, but he sees the work of the Son and the impact that the work of the Son has had on our lives and the opportunity that you and I have to have a relationship with our Heavenly Father. The resurrection assures us that we have everything we need to live for God, to live a life that is pleasing to God, and also the power to share his story boldly. Do you realize that the responsibility of sharing the gospel is not the responsibility reserved only for a pastor or a teacher or an evangelist? It is all of our responsibility, and I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit, but the reason why it is all of our responsibility is because we have all had a personal encounter with the risen Savior. And so we are given the opportunity to share boldly. But I also believe that the resurrection assures us that you and I do not have to fear death. The Bible says it is appointed to every person once to die. And the confidence that you and I have because we are in Christ is that we don't have to see death as something to be afraid of. We don't have to see death as, as something to cause us to think, what's going to happen to me next? 
or where am I going to go when this life is over? We have confidence that because Christ is risen from the dead and, and we have put our faith in him, that we have the gift of eternal life. Why? Because Jesus rose from the grave. The resurrection has changed everything. And that's why I love the doctrine of the resurrection. But can I tell you this morning that it's important for us to realize that, that the doctrine of the resurrection is more than just something that we, we, we hear and we believe. It's something that we must live. In fact, probably one of the things that I've discovered as I've been walking with the Lord in my relationship with the Lord and just growing in my relationship with the Lord is learning about the importance of, again, seeing the resurrection as not something that I just simply observe on one day out of the year, one Sunday out of the year, but that really the resurrection is meant to be a, a renewal of my commitment to allow the good news to define my daily reality, how I see myself, my worldview, how I think, how I process, how I make, how I make decisions, uh, the things that I value, how I see my neighbor, how I treat my neighbor, that all of that is shaped and it's influenced by the reality of the gospel, of the, of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I'm reminded of a story I heard about a group of ducks, a community of ducks that waddled to church one Sunday morning. And when the duck preacher took the pulpit, everybody gave their attention to the pastor as he began to preach, and he began to speak eloquently about how God has given ducks wings. Everybody say wings. God has given ducks wings with which to fly. And so this, this duck preacher begins to pound the pulpit with his beak. He's declaring, brothers and sisters, with these wings, there is nowhere we ducks cannot go. There is no God-given task we ducks cannot accomplish. With these wings, we don't have to remain tethered to the ground, waddling aimlessly through life. With these wings, God has created us to soar high in the sky. And of course, as the, the preacher duck is preaching, Shouts of amen are ringing throughout the crowd. And then in closing, the duck preacher announces, let us fly, brothers and sisters, through life with our wings. Let us fly. And then the congregation gets up to their feet, and everybody is celebrating this message that is so profound and so deeply convicting. But then when the pastor concludes the service with benediction, guess what? Everybody waddles on out of that church to their respective homes. There's a Presbyterian minister by the name of Bruce Larson who said, and I quote, that the events of Easter cannot be reduced simply to a statement of belief or philosophy. We are not asked to simply believe the doctrine of the resurrection. We are asked to meet this person raised from the dead. In faith, we move from simply believing in a doctrine to knowing a person. Why? Because ultimately truth is a person. Truth is not just an idea. It's not an ideal. It's not an ideology. Truth is a person. And because we've met that person, we've had a personal encounter with that person, we know that he is alive. I believe this morning that the good news of resurrection is significant because it, it is an invitation from God made possible through Jesus and uh, enabled through the power of the Holy Spirit to invite you and I, all of us, into three things. One, into a personal experience of spiritual renewal. God's desire is to renew us spiritually. I heard, a, I heard a preacher say many years ago, God loves me as I am, but he loved me too much to leave me the same. Where you and I come to faith in Christ is that he might change our lives. When we come to Jesus, we recognize that, that the direction that I'm going is the direction that I am not meant to go. I was not created for this. I was not meant to live this way. And, and that the only way I can live up to the purpose that the, the great creator has for my life 
is to follow him, is to do life his way. And so when we follow Christ, we're saying, change me. We're not just simply saying, I want to enter into a new experience or, or I want to just take on a new identity. No, we're saying, God, change me, transform me. And that transformation is a process. It doesn't happen in a day or a week or a year. It is continual. In fact, I dare say that it will continue until the day he calls us home. Why? Because there is so much in us that God desires to do to help us become more and more like him. But that's not the only experience that he invites you and I into. He wants us to experience him personally, but he also wants us to be grafted into a spiritual community. He wants to involve us communally or collectively. And ultimately, his goal is that as he engages us personally and brings us into the spiritual community, we are able to together continue the work that Christ began of bringing the message of hope to a world that needs to know that God loves them. Again, I say to you, as I said earlier, the responsibility of sharing the gospel is not reserved for a few. It is all of our responsibility. Why? Because we've experienced this gospel. I love how Paul puts it in Romans 1. He says, I am not ashamed of the power of the gospel. Was he speaking hearsay? No, he wasn't speaking about what somebody else's experience. He was saying, I believe in the power of the gospel because it has changed me. I know how impactful the gospel is. And it is what gives me the passion, the motivation, that sense of obligation to tell others about it as well. And so again, we see that the good news of the resurrection it's about a personal uh, experience. It's about a communal experience, but it's also about being missional, being focused on the mission that Christ has for us as the church. When you look in the, in the book of Luke, the, uh, the gospel writer's account of the resurrection morning, the morning that our Savior was, was risen from the dead, you get this sense as you're reading the scriptures that there's this cloud of, of, of heaviness that hangs over the heads of the disciples. Just two days before, Jesus has been crucified. And in the minds of these men and women who for years had walked with him, they, they served with him, they heard him teach incredible messages, they saw him perform unbelievable miracles, they gave their lives and their livelihoods to follow this man. Resurrection morning was anything but positive. And then when you add to that the news that some of the ladies who had gone by the tomb expecting to be able to go there and do the, the traditional rituals that, that are required for preparing tombs, get there and they find two mysterious individuals telling them that this tomb is empty, Jesus is risen, and, they, and, he, and these individuals point these ladies to an empty tomb, and then they come back to the disciples to tell them what they've heard and what they've seen. You only have to wonder the kind of confusion that was working its way through the minds of these disciples. What is going on? In fact, there's a point where the scripture tells us, I believe it's the same, the same gospel writer, Luke, he says that Peter ran back to that tomb. And when he got to the tomb, he saw the tomb was empty, and he began to wonder, what could be going on? There was confusion, resurrection morning for the disciples. And the, re and the reality is, is that they had really, at that point, no reason, as far as they knew, to be hopeful, to be excited, to be happy. But this is where the first part of God's invitation to you and I plays in and, 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 and why I say that it must always first be personal before it can be communal, before we can be missional. And it's this, that in order for the disciples to embrace once again the purpose, the calling, the, 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 the initiative that God wanted to bring them into, they first had to have a personal encounter with the risen Savior. They had to have a personal encounter with the one who was now risen from the dead. So, of course, Luke's account begins with a story about two men. We don't know who they are. Uh, 
they're not disciples, they're not one of the 11, but we know that they are men who follow Jesus. And as they're walking along the road to Emmaus, the Bible says that they happen upon this stranger and, and they're talking amongst themselves. And this stranger basically butts into their conversation and he's asking them, what are you talking about? And they begin to tell the stranger, have you not been around these last several days? I mean, this is what's been going on here in Jerusalem. This man named Jesus, we loved him, we believed in him, we, we loved everything he stood for. And, and we believed that there was great potential lying behind this movement that he started. But then all of a sudden, just, just out of the blue, those who opposed him finally had their way and they were able to crucify him and, and he is gone. And in their minds, this movement was gone, it was over, it was dead. And the Bible says that as Jesus walked with these individuals, that he began to explain to them what the prophets had said that the Messiah was going to come to do. And then later that night, as they were breaking bread together, Scripture says that, 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 that the, Bible, the Bible says that their eyes were open and they recognized that it was Jesus. And just before they could engage him, he disappears from their presence. And these men go back to the disciples to tell them what they just encountered. But I want you to hear what they said, because I believe it speaks to this issue of why a personal encounter with the Lord is so necessary. This is what they said. Were not our hearts burning within us as he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Even though they had no idea who this person was, but as he spoke truth. Remember we said truth is a person, right? Truth is living. That as this man spoke truth, as he began to affirm what was, what was spoken about the Messiah, that there was something in their spirit that was resonating with what they were hearing. That it wasn't just somebody giving his opinion or giving his own perspective of, of, of how things are supposed to be or should go. He was speaking truth, and that truth was resonating in their hearts. And when they went back to those disciples... It wasn't to say, hey guys, we've been hearing rumors that Christ has been risen. There, there's a tomb that, that, that sits empty. And, and, and this is what we've heard other people are saying. No, they went back and they said, we have seen him ourselves. We have had a personal encounter with the risen Savior. You see the good news of the resurrection, first for the disciples on that faithful morning, and for everyone who believes in his name, is this promise that you and I can experience a risen Savior in a very real in a very personal way. And not simply for a moment or two out of a given week or whenever we need something dire for him to step up and intervene in. God is inviting you and I to encounter him. He's inviting you and I to, to engage him every single moment of every single day of our lives. But, and there's a but, I believe that there is more to the good news than just simply a personal encounter. That that personal encounter is meant to lead us to something else. And it is that communal or, or, or collective experience that he invites us to. And so I want us to read the account uh, as described by, by Luke of what happened when Jesus stepped in amongst the disciples to confirm that he was indeed risen from the, from the grave. Verse 36 of Luke chapter 24, this is what the writer says. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and he said to them, Peace be with you. And the Bible says that they were startled and frightened, thinking that they saw a ghost. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they, were st and while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish. And he took that fish and he ate it in their presence. And then he said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you, 
Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, in the prophets and the Psalms. And then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. And he told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. And if you can't underline that in your Bible, if you have your physical Bible with you, you are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. I believe this morning that in the same way that the good news of the resurrection involves each of us having a personal encounter with the risen Savior, that it also it consists of or involves an appreciation of a link that you and I share in Christ and the opportunity that being joined together in Christ affords us to influence one another and to impact one another, but beyond impacting our community, but that together we are impacting our world for Jesus Christ. In other words, the good news of resurrection helps you and I to understand this morning, friends, that we are no longer, now that we are in Christ, we are no longer isolated entities. We are no longer isolated entities. But now we have assumed a new identity that appropriately describes not only the kind of people he has called us to be, but importantly defines what he has called us to do and to do together. Not separately, not, not, not uh, outside of the influence or the engagement or involvement of each other, but to do together. And that identity is expressed in verse 47 when he says to his disciples, you are witnesses of these things. Everybody say witnesses. That's a powerful word, and it's an important word for us to take note of. Because when we think of the word witnesses, typically we think of the word, we think, we think it refers to somebody who, is an, who has seen something and is able to speak to something, having been there, having uh, um, seen what happened, what took place, and then they're stepping up to say, this is actually what happened. But there's more to the word witness than we tend to simply think of it. When you look in the original Greek from which that word is taken, the word witness actually means martyr, which when I was doing my research and I saw that, I thought that's interesting because when I think of martyr, I think of somebody who dies for their beliefs. But in a sense, this is what Jesus is saying to them. In using that word witness, he is describing this identity that he's calling them to this level of commitment he's inviting them to and by extension all of us where we, because we've had such a deeply, um, we, we have such a deep and personal experience with him that we develop convictions that we identify, identify with, that we live by, and that we are willing to sacrifice everything to defend. You are a child of God. You're a follower of Jesus Christ. Is that a commitment you're willing to, to give everything up for? Are you willing, if push came to shove, for you to sacrifice everything. In fact, remember it was Paul who described or compared uh, the things that he has been, he's had to give up to follow Christ as rubbish. Again, he's not saying that, that, you know, these other things are not important, but what he's saying is that none of them matter compared to this, this, this relationship, this covenant that I've been brought into with Christ. Jesus is calling us witnesses because of a sincerely held conviction and identity that is rooted in a personal encounter with him when you and I believed in his name. And, and in his exhortation to the disciples, 
who were with him post-resurrection, we're going to see him remind them that we have a shared experience of a Savior who links us. And so quickly, the question I want to answer this morning is, based on Luke's account, what does the Bible teach us about the role that the resurrection, or the good news of resurrection, what does it play in shaping us collectively as a community of faith? Here's the first thing. The first lesson we learn is that the resurrection brings you and I into a divine partnership with God and with each other. A partnership that God brings us into with God and with each other. And there's a scripture that, that, that I think speaks profoundly to this in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 and verse 10. Peter the apostle is speaking to the church and he's saying to them uh, that there was, there was a condition or, or there was a, a standing that you had with God prior to coming to him, coming to faith in Christ that he has changed. And it's important for you to appreciate who you once were so that you understand the value of who you are today. In verse 9 he says, but you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are God's special possession for a reason. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And then this is the crucial part in verse 10. Paul then says, I mean Peter says, excuse me, once you were not a people. Right off the bat you think that's not proper English. You are not a people? I mean who, who's, who says that? But notice what Paul is describing, Peter is describing. He's not speaking specifically to one individual. He's saying that, that before you came into Christ, as it were, you were not part of, 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 of a collective, a, a family. Yeah, okay, the Bible says that we all, before we came to Christ, we all shared the common denominator of being sinners, of, of facing condemnation for our sin because we're outside of relationship with God. But Jesus changed all of that. Notice that when we come to Christ, we didn't come different ways. The Bible says there is only one way. And in coming through that one way, no matter who we are, what our background is, where, what part of the world we're originally from, what our social standing is, we all come through that one way. But what he's saying here is this, when we come through that one way, we become identified by that one person. So that word people is not speaking to an individual. He's speaking to a collective. He says you have become part of something bigger than your individual selves. And this is how he explains it. Because now you are the people of God. So not only have you been brought into a partnership with others, but now you've been given a new identity where you are marked by him as belonging to him. So when people see you, they see you belong to Jesus. That's why I love, you know, the scripture tells us that it was in Antioch where the believers were first called Christians. Because they were identified as people who were following the teachings of Jesus. When the world looks at us, what, what, what are we saying to them about what our commitment is? What are we saying to them about our identity? What are we saying to them about who we are? Peter goes on to say, once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So the point is, when you and I, because of the resurrection, come to faith in Christ and we have a personal encounter with him, what he then does in addition to that personal encounter, is that he brings us into this communal, this collective, this, 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 this community of faith where we now see that, that it doesn't matter what your skin color is, it doesn't matter what your background is, it doesn't matter what your socioeconomic status is, you are my brother and sister in the Lord. Why? Because we are part of God's family. And we must celebrate that. We need to celebrate that we are, we, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. 
When I, when I meet a believer, even if I don't know them, but I meet them and I identify that they are a believer, that's my brother. That's my sister. And I must celebrate what God is doing in their lives, even if I don't know the whole story. But because I know that they know Jesus, I know that something good is happening in their lives. And I celebrate that. I, 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 I embrace that. I affirm that. The Bible says we are God's people. Because we've been brought into a divine partnership with God and into a divine partnership with each other. But that's not the only thing that, that the, the resurrection helps us to discover. Number two, the resurrection helps us to discern God's divine purpose for his church. God has a purpose for you and for me. But God also has a purpose for all of us. And our individual purpose is wrapped up in our collective purpose. It is not that we live our one purpose exclusive of another. Who we are, what God is doing in each of us individually, is a part of the bigger picture of what he seeks to do through all of us. In fact, I like to look at it as a puzzle. We are all pieces of a puzzle. We, we, all, we all have different shapes. We all bring a different, we all tell a different part of that, big, that collective story. And we're all an important part of this process. But again, it is because God has a purpose for every single one of us. In God's puzzle, there is no piece that is insignificant. In God's puzzle, there is no piece that is useless. In God's puzzle, there is no piece that can be left out. Every single one of us has a purpose. Not only individually, but in the collective scheme of what God seeks to do. And this is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. Speaking to the believers, once again, to remind them of this calling that God has placed on us as the, as the church, as the body of Christ. He says in chapter 2, verse 14, But thanks be to God who always leads you and I in, uh, as captives in Christ's triumphal processions. Excuse me. And he does this. He uses us. Paul didn't say he uses me. Or he uses a certain individual, he only uses a certain set of people. He's saying he uses every believer to spread. Everybody say spread. He uses us to spread something that is sweet, something that is, that is, that is attractive. He says we spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. And how can we spread the aroma of a knowledge without a personal encounter? Remember I said to you that the impersonal encounter is first. But it's supposed to lead us to something greater. Paul says that because we are in Christ, that we are part of this work that God is doing of allowing us to be instruments that he is using to spread the aroma of a knowledge of him. And again, that knowledge of him is based on personal experience. But it is also based on what happens when we are together. And so we must learn to see the purpose that God has for us. We must learn to celebrate the purpose that God has for us. We must learn to affirm the purpose that God has for us and encourage that and pray for each other in that regard. And here's the final point this morning. The, the, the third lesson we learn is that the resurrection positions you and I to walk in divine power to bring hope to the lost. Jesus said to his disciples, he says, you are my witnesses. You are witnesses of these things. What things? He's talking about the resurrection. He says, you, you've not only simply heard about the resurrection, you've, you've, you've seen me, you've had an encounter with me. And now I want you to now go out and testify to the experience you've had. And in the same way, God calls you and I to go out and to testify to the experience that we've had in knowing him, that we, we have in knowing him on a daily basis. But here's the thing, we cannot do it by ourselves. We cannot do it on our own. We cannot do God's work through human means. Yes, God uses us, but ultimately God has to empower us to do what he's called us to do. Listen to what Jesus said in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. But you will receive power. When? There's a condition. There's power that you need to do my work. But that power you will receive when? 
the Holy Spirit comes on you. So imagine if the disciples had said, oh, we don't need him. Imagine if Peter had said, I'm Peter. I'm not afraid to talk to anybody. Jesus, let the other disciples enjoy that. I'll go start the work. I'm grateful that they didn't do that. I'm grateful that they believed what Jesus said, that they recognized the importance of the power that they needed to receive to be his witnesses, and that they waited. And how glorious that, that, that gift was when they received the power of the Holy Spirit. And this same Peter, who as many times as he boasted about being able to stand up for Christ, die for Christ if necessary, and yet when a young lady accused him of being one of Christ's followers, he was, he was saying no. He was essentially, essentially he, was, he, was, he was intimidated by a young lady would also be the same Peter who would stand before a crowd of thousands and 3,000 people would come to faith in Christ. Not because Peter suddenly became this eloquent speaker, eloquent communicator, suddenly became confident in himself. No, because he was operating in divine power. Our ability to do what God has called us to do predicates, relies on our willingness to embrace the, the resource that God has made available to us. And this is not just for adults, teenagers. You realize that because God has brought you into relationship with him and he is, he's, he's made you a part of his family, he's, he, he has made his power available to you so that in your schools, in your circle of friends, that you're able to have power, you're able to, you're able to walk with authority and speak with wisdom and, and be able to inf impact your friends for Christ. This is the promise that he's made to every one of us. He says to them that when you receive this power, you become my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And in saying these words, he's speaking to us, saying that I've made my power available to you so that you can fulfill the purpose that I have for you, and that purpose is to bring hope to the lost. I want to challenge you on our way to heaven to consider this. Again, the resurrection is an opportunity for us to have a personal encounter with the risen Savior, but it's also an important, as important an opportunity for us to recognize the value of this community that God has brought us into and made us a part of, and the importance of us being active participants in this community, where we're not just simply looking for an experience so we can say, well, I've got my field and, and go about our business. No, that, but that we are part of, of something that's greater than our individual selves, that we're part of a work that is, that is bigger than, than any one of us can do on our own. God's desire is that you and I not be spectators, but that we play an active role in what he is doing. And so on our way to heaven, here's what I would challenge you to do. Three things, very simple. Because you've been brought into divine partnership with Christ and with others, walk in light of that. Don't, don't, don't sugarcoat or hide the fact that you're a follower of Christ. Seek, seek relationships, connections with other believers because that's, that's, the, that's the support system you need. Because we've been given a divine purpose, we must seek God's direction to carry it out. I love the scripture Pastor Bruce alluded to during the, uh, the um, stewardship earlier this morning. Paul, uh, Peter, uh, the scripture says in Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 6, we trust in the Lord with all of our hearts. We not lean on our own understanding. We acknowledge God in all of our ways, and we do what? We trust that he will do what? He will direct. He will lead us. He will guide us into his purpose and plan for us. So seek his direction to carry out that purpose. And here's the last thing. Because he's given you divine power, depend on him entirely. Don't try to do this on your own. Don't try to do this the way you think it should be done. Be dependent on the Holy Spirit. Be so sensitive and in tune with the Holy Spirit that, that when he asks you to do something, you know this is God speaking. 
that when they ask you to take a step of obedience, that you know, you know what, God, this is not something, it's, it's not about convenience or about me being comfortable, but it's about working toward your purpose and plan. And God, if this is what you want me to do, I'm going to do it, but I'm going to do it through the power of your Holy Spirit. And that we are fully dependent on the Lord for that. My prayer for all of us this morning is that we would see ourselves as grafted into God's family. That we would see that God has assigned us with divine purpose. And that God has endowed us with divine power. We have everything that we need to be his witnesses. Everything that we need to be his witnesses. And, and I challenge you, every single day, starting today, every single day, commit, commit, commit. God, I'm a part of a bigger work than my individual self. And I will give myself wholeheartedly to it. I'll be committed to that purpose, and I will operate in your divine power. And if you're here this morning, you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Everything that I've said involves, first, being joined to Christ. God can't use you unless he first has you. And he invites us to surrender our lives to him. See, God's desire is that you have a relationship with him. God's desire is that, is that he would change your life, that he would transform your life, that you would get to know him, not about him, but you know him personally. And that, and that as you're walking with him daily, that, that, that it becomes evident to people around you that there's a difference, about, there's something different about this person. And that they come to discover that that difference is Christ. And, and, and the invitation is, is, is extended to you this morning that if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, all you have to simply do is acknowledge Jesus died for my sins. He died to make forgiveness possible. Because outside of him, there was nothing that I can do to, to earn God's approval. There's no amount of good I can do to ever satisfy God's righteous requirement concerning sin. The Old Testament made it very clear. The Bible says, without, without, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. All of that to illustrate the idea that sin costs. Sin produces death. And imagine if God, left it, God said we had to pay for our sins. We would all be lost. Do you realize that this morning? If God said we had to pay for our sins, we would all be lost. Why? Because there is no hope beyond the grave. So it required one who could identify with us, but yet was perfect. And the only one qualified to do that is Jesus. The Bible says he came. He was tempted as you and I are tempted. He identifies with us. He understands what it means to be tempted. And yet the Bible says he did not give in to sin. And because of that, he is qualified to be our perfect substitute on the cross. And when we put our trust in him and we acknowledge that what Jesus did, he did in my place. What I could not do, what I was powerless to do, he did. And because of what he did, now I have access to uh, a father who created me, to know him, to love him, to walk with him, to, to live for him, to serve him, to live out his purpose. What, what better gift is there? And so you have an option today to, to embrace that this morning. Confess your sins to the Lord. Acknowledge that you're a sinner and that you need him. And invite him to come into your life and to change you. Not just come into your life but, and to hang out as if that nothing in your life changes. He wants to come in to change you. He wants to come in to change me. And if you're willing for him to do that, he will do that today. I want to invite every head bowed and every eyes closed this morning. Heavenly Father, I just want to say thank you first of all this morning for the opportunity that we've had to consider what it, what it means to 
be confronted with the reality or the good news of the resurrection of, of our Savior, Jesus Christ. I'm grateful that it is the most significant event in human history because it has changed everything for us. Eternity, Father, looks different because Jesus died on the cross. Hope is now available, Father God, to a world that prior to God had no hope because Jesus died on the cross. And by his resurrection, God, we have hope today that we have eternal life because we put our faith and trust in him. God, I pray for everyone that is here today who is a follower of Jesus Christ. I thank you for their commitment to you, and I thank you for their embracing the opportunity, God, to be a part of this divine partnership you've established. Thank you, God, for the opportunity, God, to experience your divine purpose and to walk in your divine power. And God, I pray for my brothers and sisters, for all of us, Lord, that you help us today, God, to live in the reality of the resurrection and to allow it to kind of change our lives in a way that is pleasing to you. But God, right now, I want to give opportunity for whomever may be here that does not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, whether they're here at the Fondren campus or they're watching from home. God, I pray that in this moment, Lord, I believe that you are drawing hearts to you. And so I would just quickly say, with every head bowed and every eyes closed, I'm looking around the room this morning. Is there anyone that would say, Pastor John, pray with me? I want to accept Jesus Christ as my Savior and Lord. I don't want to just know about him. I want to know him personally. I don't want to just hear other people talk about how he has made a difference in their lives. I want to experience the difference that I know he can make in my life. I don't want to continue in a life of sin. I don't want to keep trying to call the shots or running from God. I want to run headlong to him, and I want to embrace all he has for me, all that he has created me for, and has made available to me through Christ. I'm ready to follow Jesus. If that's you, just looking around the, the sanctuary this morning, just raise your hand. Just raise your hand. Thank you. I see that hand back there. Anybody else? You want to accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord? Again, this is an opportunity for you to embrace what God is making available to you. It's a free gift. You have to earn it. You have to work for it. You just have to believe that what Christ did on the cross, he did, and it's sufficient to pay for your sins and to bring into a relationship with God. Anybody else? Thank you. I see that hand. Praise the Lord. If you raise your hand, I want to invite you to pray this prayer with me. Mean it in your heart. The Bible says if we confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, we believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. Confession is more than just simply repeating words. Confession is recognizing that the words you're about to speak are yours. They represent who you are, but who you want to become. And I believe that God will meet you in your place and point of need today when you come to him in faith, believing that he will forgive you as he's promised. And I want to encourage everyone that is here as well to pray with us, to encourage those who are making that commitment of faith in Christ. Let's pray together this morning. Dear Jesus, thank you for today and for this opportunity you are giving me to now to make things right with you. I come to you right now acknowledging that I am a sinner, but also recognizing that though my sin keeps me from relationship with you, that Jesus became my way. He became the truth, and he is the life. And that because I know him, I can know you today. I open my heart to you, Father. I invite you to become my Lord and Savior. I embrace what Jesus did on the cross, and I believe that it was sufficient to pay for my sins. 
I put my trust in you today. And I ask you to come and to live in my heart and help me to live for you. Help me to walk with you. Help me to know you. And help me to live for you through the power of your Holy Spirit. Thank you that you're, 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 you're engrafting me into something that is bigger than myself. That because I put my trust in Jesus today, I am now a child of God and a part of the family of God. Thank you that my life will not be the same from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, let's give the Lord a hand clap this morning for what he has done. And I just want to say, if you prayed that prayer, congratulations. The Bible says you are a child of God. But it is just the beginning of a new walk with the Lord. And we want to help you in taking those first steps with the Lord. At the end of the service, one of our brothers, Brother Sonny, will be right over here to my right. He'll be at the foot of the, st of the stage. Please come and